what and how these rules are going to apply to every medium-sized circuit in the country, it seems like the number one and number three circuits in AMC and Cinemark have already said we're going to be playing by different rules. This is the Box Office Podcast. I'm Russ Fisher, the editorial director of the Box Office Studios, which provides editorial content to movie theaters. And I'm joined as always, or not as always, but on the best days, today is one of the best days, by Daniel Luria, the editorial director of Box Office Pro, and Rebecca Polly, the deputy editor of Box Office Pro. Now, today we're going to be bouncing off uh, statements by Chris Aronson, the president of domestic distribution at Paramount, Stephen O'Dell, the president at Sony Pictures Releasing International, and Andrew Cripps, the president of international distribution at Warner Brothers Pictures. But first, we want to look back at some news from the past week, as has often been the case over the past couple of months. Quite a bit has happened since we last checked in. So, uh, Daniel and Rebecca, let's look at at the last couple of earnings calls and uh, get a catch up on where Cineplex and Disney and a couple of other companies are. So if you uh, remember from last week's episode, Russ, we were all kind of staring forward into the future with trepidation, looking at that Disney call, wondering what, what horrific news for theatrical exhibition was going to was gonna come down the pike. And it turns out, but not necessarily in a no news is good news sort of way. It was a cliffhanger, wasn't it? It was a big cliffhanger, and I just wish they'd right. ripped off the Band-Aid, honestly. <laughs> and you have to wait for the credits of the earnings call. Once Bob Chapik <laughs> leaves, wait 20 minutes. <laughs> then they'll tell you what happens to the theatrical window. Well, that's the Apple model, but wait, there's one more thing. <laughs> <laughs> and that one more thing is going to happen on, I think, December 10th is their investor day, right? So that's basically what it boiled down to, the news we found out last week that, yes, there are big changes coming. Yes, we are investing heavily in DTC or direct-to-consumer, and, and obviously that includes a platform like Disney+, Plus. but we're not going to tell you what those are until December 10th. So uh, we could be looking at just an increased investment in production specifically for Disney+. Plus. We could be looking at things that were supposed to be theatrical going to Disney+. Plus. We could be looking at a shortened window situation. We're looking at something. <laughs> we just don't know what. And in the meantime, uh, cinemas are still struggling, as you well know, Russ, and trying to get new content, trying to get interest from folks when there isn't a slate of new releases or at least a slate of new releases with a significant marketing spend behind them. And uh, Rebecca listened in to the latest earnings call from Cineplex. In your reporting, Rebecca, it looks like Cineplex is doing something that AMC and Cinemark have also turned to to boost business during this time. Everyone loves a, a private cinema rental in 2020. Um, they are doing that. It's something that we've seen a lot of over the past eight months or so. Uh, now among the top five uh, cinema circuits in North America, uh, AMC's doing it, Cineplex now is doing it, and, and Cinemark has had some pretty big success with that over the past few months. Ellis Jacob, the CEO of, of Cineplex, was asked about, about Windows. There was nothing really specific statement that came out of that. Basically, you know, that he and the studios are remain committed to the theatrical exclusivity window. There does seem to be an understanding that that is going to shift moving forward, though he did say, you know, just upcoming in the next couple of months, he doesn't really expect that to happen for some of these uh, big blockbuster titles that the studios have uh, continued to kind of kick down the release calendar 
instead of, of moving them to PBOD. And of course, Cineplex you know, has their own PBOD platform like AMC does, which, which is relevant to any discussion of that chain's approach to Windows. But yeah, we have nothing really specific on them yet when it comes to Windows, which is not actually uh, the case with Cinemark. Daniel, uh, we got some big news there. That's right, Rebecca. We have another major exhibitor signing on to a shortened theatrical window with Universal. As we know, Universal was the first to sign a shortened window agreement with a major exhibitor some months back. That was with AMC Theaters, the top circuit in the world. With that AMC deal, we learned that films would have at least 17 days or three weekends of theatrical exclusivity. And then on a case-by-case basis, those films would be going to premium video on demand, at which point AMC would get a portion of the revenue, an undefined portion of the revenue, whatever that number is, it isn't available to the media, they would get a portion of those digital sales from the studio. We had discussed at length about what this could mean, and we had all agreed it's not going to mean much unless they convince other exhibitors that this is the right move to go with. Lo and behold, we are in a situation right now where nearly every other major studio has cleared their slate from 2020 entirely. There aren't many major releases on the schedule really until deep into the first quarter of 2021. And it changes the scenario, the cost-benefit analysis for these major chains coming into business with this shortened window with Universal. So Cinemark is jumping into this bandwagon. We have learned through the Cinemark deal that this is a multi-year deal. That means that this isn't the situation where pandemic rules apply, right? This isn't the situation where vaccine comes in, audiences come back, and things go back to the way they used to be in February. Not at all. This is something that we've seen as a multi-year agreement. We'll see how it goes. We'll see how it develops. But right now, the rules for this shortened window with Universal and Cinemark are, if a film opens at $50 million or above, that movie will get a minimum of 31 days theatrical exclusivity or five weekends. If that title opens under $50 million, which is quite a bit of titles and basically every single Focus Features title, I think is fair to assume, those titles will get a 17-day theatrical exclusivity window three weekends before they go on to PVOD. From the communication we got from Cinemark, it, they didn't state if they were going to get any portion of uh, the digital revenue of those titles. That is unknown. Uh, it's something that I think would have made it to the press release or would have made it in some sort of statement had it happened. It's not there. So we're seeing this development of now the number one chain and the number three chain agreeing to a shortened theatrical window and the number two chain in North America closing entirely until further notice. All eyes on, on Cineworld right now. I mean, Universal Focus have a couple of titles over the next uh, couple of weeks and, and Cineworld Regal in the U.S. I mean, they actually still had a few cinemas open in the U.S. until recently and, and they've recently shut down the cinemas that were open in California and in New York State. So, Russ, it feels like a game of chicken to me. <laughs> yeah, I think we can say it feels like a game of chicken. And the thing that this leads me to wonder about is, you know, you both mentioned Focus Features. Uh, Daniel mentioned the the fact that, you know, a lot of Focus Features titles are going to 
open lower than 50 million. And I'm just curious about what this does to non tentpole programming at a chain like AMC or Cinemark. Each of them have a, you know, sort of art house label for playing quote unquote smaller films. And I'm curious to see what these window conversations do to some of that programming. If they go in knowing these titles are not expected, I guess basically what I'm coming around to is the idea that these deals conceivably eliminate kind of what we talked about recently with uh, The Greatest Showman, which is a movie that had legs and that really developed over a period of time. We don't see that often, but we do see it. And these deals potentially the possibility of a minor phenomenon like that happening. I've looked it up here and, and The Greatest Showman, which granted is it's not a universal title. So we're just right. speaking as if these terms kind of spread out to the, to the industry as a whole. Their opening weekend gross, and this was a long weekend over over Christmas, was only 14.4. Right, right. So like, well, and that that well was not a small independent film. That's a... That was a big, yeah. I mean, it was meant to be an event movie. It didn't open like an event movie, but that was the idea. And it only was able to grow into one over time. So Daniel, you had something that you wanted to add. Yeah, no, and it's fascinating to track not only these, let's call them mid-range titles that, that overperform and find these great numbers down the line. What does this say when it comes to platform releases? I mean, a title like American Sniper, which opened at, what was it, two locations in New York and LA from Warner Brothers, and then slowly built up this great word of mouth buzz to getting to a wide release does that model just go away? And that's even for yeah. a big Clint Eastwood awards movie. What happens to a title like Parasite? Parasite's a good question. And the thing is, the simple truth is that Parasite probably wasn't playing Cinemark for quite a bit of that time over which it was building. It might have been on some AMC screens. I don't know how many. Uh, but, but yeah, that's a great question. And then I think related to that is, you know, a lot of those platform releases, especially something like American Sniper, were released as platform titles because they're building award season buzz. And now over the next four to five months, we're going to see what 2020 has done to award season, just as it has done to everything else. We're going to see how is award season affected? How does that affect uh, distributor strategy and promotional strategy going forward? And this change in windowing have an effect on overall award season strategy like platforming. And like you say, Daniel, it, it might be a big change. I'm really interested to see, I mean, we have something like Netflix's uh, Hillbilly Elegy, which was kind of positioned as, as a very big award season push. And then it gets to critics and critics just savage this movie. Right. And in previous years, I mean, you could maybe still have a situation where a film like that gains buzz because you're seeing a lot of people going to see it at the theater and, and it's kind of a populist thing you know it still gets it still gets some you know a lot of people out to actually see it in the theaters green book one best picture how do you build award season buzz like that how do you build that narrative when you don't have vod numbers or you have vod i mean netflix says what they want with, with vod numbers so i'm sure they'll present you know eight million bazillion people watch tobillology in the first 30 minutes well rebecca let's step back from that and guys let's look at this arbitrary number of it has to hit 50 million in an opening weekend to get 31 days. I have no idea what that means. There are many ways to count an opening weekend. Is it a holiday weekend? 
Are you going to count the Wednesday or Thursdays? Yeah. Is it a, a special magical Warner Brothers weekend where uh, it's <laughs> two weekends and Canada is also, you know. It, and to paraphrase some Pirates of the Caribbean action, like are these rules or guidelines? <laughs> can on an individual film, can you say like, okay, this one made 49.9, guys, come on. Like, <laughs> And then the other thing is, hey, what if one of these big tentpole titles underperforms? Let's take into consideration a title like these Fast and Furious movies, which have still not run out of gas. Will they eventually? I mean, there's still Rocky movies out there. Who knows? But one of these titles, say it opens at 42, does that mean the studio goes in and gives it a 17-day window? It's arbitrary. It's inconsistent. It really doesn't make much sense on a macro perspective. And we still don't know what and how these rules are going to apply to every medium-sized circuit in the country, it seems like the number one and number three circuits in AMC and Cinemark have already said, we're going to be playing by different rules. So who is making, is it Universal that makes the call that says, well, okay, it opened at 48. So Universal says PVOD in 17 days, or is that a, a mutually agreed, you know, is there a conversation that happens between studio and exhibitors? How is that decision made? You know, we don't know. Yeah, it's really hard to track. As we're saying, I don't think there's a lot of clarity to what this new future means for theatrical distribution. And we're going to go into a little bit of detail on what that distribution landscape is about to look like in our main discussion section. But first, here is a message from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Sharp NEC Display Solutions, a leading provider of high quality imaging solutions. NEC is currently offering over 50% off MSRP on the NC1201 laser projector and lens bundle, which is backed by a three-year warranty. Contact your Sharp NEC dealer for details. Now for our main feature, we're going to be looking at these uh, big shifts in theatrical distribution going into 2021. We are working off statements made by Chris Aronson, president of domestic distribution at Paramount, from the box office live session with the Independent Cinema Alliance. And Stephen O'Dell, the president at Sony Pictures Releasing International, and Andrew Cripps, the president of International Distribution at Warner Brothers, both of uh, their comments come from Cine Asia. So we've got two big categories that we want to talk about. And the first is the fact that, as evidenced by everything we were just discussing, windows are going to shorten. It's a simple truth about where we are right now. And so, uh, Daniel, what did Chris Aronson have to say about existing windows and what does it mean going forward? Russ, Chris had a lot to say about the theatrical window, as did, to be fair, Sony's Stephen O'Dell and Warner's Andrew Cripps at Cine Asia. I think the main takeaway that I've gotten from attending these webinars with leading distributors is that they are sure that the theatrical window is going to shrink. And also, they have all the leverage in the negotiations right now. Because as much as cinema's open, without distributors being confident in releasing the films when they believe the market has recovered, it's going to be very, very difficult for exhibitors, especially mid-sized ones, to have a say in the terms of how long these films are going to be available. So it's it's been an interesting sort of shift. We had Stephen O'Dell from Sony calling the existing windows inefficient 
Uh, he cited companies like Kodak, like Blockbuster, as uh, companies that helped bring down their respective industries because they weren't willing to adapt to market conditions. You had someone like Andrew Cripps saying that the only thing that a 90-day-plus theatrical window is encouraging is piracy. That's the only thing that's encouraging, especially with films, let's come up with Tenet, for example, that's released in some markets at some point, but not everywhere in the United States. So you have inconsistent availability for the film. That has to change. And that really is something that Chris Aronson, in his conversation with us in our own box office live session, reiterated. He believes that the window that exists right now, using his words, is borderline absurd. I love that. I, it was a really good chat with him, and he was really candid again about the fact that, uh, you know, in his opinion, the window as it traditionally exists, you know, the traditional 72 day window, you know, it, it's too long. He cited statistics that 97, uh, between 95 and 97% of box office is done in those first 42 days, that the window used to be longer than it is now. It used to be 100 days. And, and when that shortened before, I mean, people were like, oh my God, no one's ever, no one's ever going to come to cinemas. Like you say, Daniel, it's shortening, it's shrinking. That's just what's going to happen. So then how do you adapt? How do theaters live with that and coexist with streaming, whether it's something like PVOD or a platform like Netflix that offers just a ton of content for a com comparatively pretty cheap price point? And, and that's something else uh, that Chris went into uh, in this live session with us. So with all that being said, the big second question is, how do studios and exhibitors coexist with streaming? And Chris Aronson had one thing to say, which was really interesting, which is we can't make films for theatrical release that are more or better suited for streaming platforms. We have to make sure that whatever we're making for theatrical release warrants being a theatrical release. And I think if we do, then people will come. And looking outside, I actually have a lot of issues with that quote and that notion, because to me, that kind of pushes theatrical releases entirely into the realm of, for lack of a better shorthand, Marvel movies. It sounds like, well, if you're going to be theatrical, it needs to be spectacle. It needs to be something that, quote unquote, can only be experienced on the big screen. I think that there are a lot of movies to, I don't know, personally, I see a lot of movies as being great for the big screen when they're not spectacle because it's easier for me to not pay attention to them at home. And part of the theatrical experience is that your attention is directed. It's not merely that you're being overwhelmed or that you're seeing somewhere something that you can't see anywhere else. It's that you are seeing it in a way that you can't see it anywhere else, which is to say that you are specifically paying attention to that thing and only that thing for two hours or whatever it is. And the material itself, to me, is irrelevant. It doesn't matter. And it doesn't need to be, quote unquote, warrant, you know, worthy of a theatrical release or something that warrants a theatrical release. I don't know, Rebecca, Daniel, what do the two of you think about that? One of my most memorable film going experiences in the last, I guess, five years was uh, Amore by Michael. It was Hanukkah, right? Hanukkah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is just a, a not a Marvel movie at all. Just, uh, you know, a couple having having to wrestle with one of, you know, their, their declining mental health. And the fact that I was literally trapped with that very difficult subject matter in a room full of people, you know, it really made it, I don't want to use the word enjoyable, 
unique maybe and it was a good experience what it is yes that talk about post-credit sequences the post-credit sequence in michael (laughs) hanekes and more wow didn't see that one coming ties it back to cachet it's amazing i really didn't expect (laughs) that to, to go that way i was actually dumped after seeing that movie i went with my girlfriend at the time to see it uh at film forum and on the walk back she broke up with me like on a sidewalk in the middle of winter in New York saying, is she, I, is she like, is she like pondering this? Do I want to be like in the, a more situation with this guy in 40 years? Is that what it was? I think it's kind of <laughs> like going to Ikea. You know how couples always fight when they go to Ikea where you just, you know, you see a life of domesticity. Can I share this with this person? We went to go see him more on a date within 20 minutes after walking out of film forum. I'm single. It was incredible. So yeah, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Uh, thank you to Michael Haneke, because that's definitely the right decision. I, I found a very nice person I married after that. But uh, that's that's my beef with Amor. Even if you look at films, I mean, I think we're all here very big fans of independent films, of smaller, of mid-range films. But even if you look at something like, uh, for example, Wonder Woman, you know, there are rumors that, uh, you know, there might be a shortened window. It, it might it might go to PVOD, you know. In hypotheticals, maybe there's a situation where somebody has to decide, do I see Wonder Woman in a cinema or do I see it at home on, you know, whatever PVOD platform? You know, the impression I get from from what Chris Aronson is saying here is that if the film's that style of film, then people will go see it in cinemas. But, like, I don't know if you can necessarily say that they will. Mulan was a very theatrical movie. And, and a lot of people saw it on Disney+. Plus. Granted, in the United States, they had no other option because it wasn't even available theatrically. But there are a lot of these big, splashy, tentpole films that, I don't know, and I'm kind of uncomfortable with it, well, with it a it, little it's bit. it's so but, arbitrary, uh, right? You have to deserve a release. I guess people should have the choice so they see it theatrically or PVOD, but I just think a lot of people will choose PVOD if the price point is much lower. I think price has a lot to do with it. I think also there's something that one of you mentioned, or I think it was Daniel mentioned earlier, the idea of, you know, one of the big changes is not just the lack of a slate, but it's the lack of a marketing spend and the lack of a marketing window for some of these movies. And what I'm finding as, and I'm building to a point with this, this isn't coming out of nowhere. What I'm finding currently with a lot of movies that I would love going to streaming, going to PVOD, whatever, Without the traditional marketing structure, which which puts titles in front of me over a period of months, I am lost. I am. I I will read about a movie. I'll read about a movie and be like, "Is this oh, out man, yet?" Or what? I want to see this. And if I don't put it in a spreadsheet with like a date that it's coming out and where it's going to be streaming, I forget about it. And then two weeks later, I'm like. There was a movie that I read about that sounded cool. It had a pig in it and a guy who flies. What was the deal? I don't know. And I can never find it again. And then I never end up watching it. So all of that being said, the side pocket to all of this is not just does a movie warrant theatrical, but it is does the movie get a a marketing spend? Is a place in consumer consciousness effectively purchased for it by a company? And then does a company like AMC want to play along by allocating space for it on a screen? And those are a whole combined set of factors that you know Chris Aronson is not directly addressing, but they're things that are a part of the reality of, of theatrical and of a distribution overall that has shifted this year. 
And I think simply saying, oh, is it theatrical versus streaming is kind of minimizing a more complex question. And I think it's potentially gives gives cinemas less less of an advantage over, over studios. I mean, we've talked about this extensively before, and, and it kind of ties into what Chris Aronson is saying, that the theatrical experience should be great. You know, you're not just selling the movie, you're selling the experience, whether it's the food or or the atmosphere or a gigantic screen, whatever it is. But then when you look at how movie going habits have changed o- over the past two decades, I mean, I'm, I'm certainly, I think we've talked about this before and, and a lot of people have said it before. People don't really go to the movies anymore. They go to a movie. I do think that has changed slightly with uh, the premiumization of the experience, right? With when you have dine-ins, when you have 4DX. Another complaint that Aronson had in in this conversation we we hosted with him was that the industry, according to him, wasn't doing enough to, to get back non-frequent moviegoers, infrequent moviegoers, I think is the correct way of saying it. So people who don't, who maybe fell out of the habit of going to the movies. Probably because all they can see is a superhero movie. So I don't see how we can get uh, infrequent uh, moviegoers back if the only movies that are that are coming out are these cross-quadrant, multi-hundred million dollar uh, blockbusters. So it's you need the content, I think, to appeal to people. What I'm hearing from studios is we're making less content for theaters. So it's a chicken and an egg situation. It's mixed messages. When you go back to that complaint, and it's a frequent criticism of like, well, attendance is down. First of all, I encourage everyone, even within this industry, look at the Motion Picture Association data. Attendance hasn't been going down for 15, 20 years. Granted, it's flatlined. Some years it goes slightly up, some years it goes slightly down, but it's really been in a consistent flat basis. That means it's a stable market. And what, in any economic model, what does a stable market have to do? It has to recalibrate the existing consumer spend to get more money out of that base consumer. And we've seen that happen through recliner seating, which has brought in smaller auditoriums, less capacity per screen, but a higher per person spend in those auditoriums. You've seen 4DX, uh, D-Box, immersive seating come out. You've seen concessions items evolve, so people spend a little bit more money at the concession stand and want to spend money on an entire meal. You've seen the entire movie-going experience shift, shift to this model of an audience that is reflective of the audience that we see across all of media. Cable subscriptions are down. Uh, this year, we've talked about it uh, frequently, Sports ratings are down. And no, it's not because players are, are socially engaged. Every league is different with different levels of engagement in, in, in terms of social issues. The reality is people are, are consuming media in a more fragmented way than they have ever before. And we're seeing that reflected in every aspect of the entertainment industry. And I, I really don't see how we can get back to this magical time before all of this fragmentation with less titles uh, coming in from studios. The monoculture where you would go to the movie theater, you know, once a week, twice a week, because it's what you did. It's not coming back. And I think the industry has adapted to that already. Yeah. 
Agreed. So Daniel, there was another quote from Chris Aronson that I think kind of plays to what you're just talking about, which is, quote, we as an industry have to do a better job of reaching the people who don't come to the cinemas anymore. And I think to a certain extent, the industry as a whole has ignored that segment of the potential movie-going population. I think that's an accurate assessment, if only through the idea of figuring out how to reach the people who don't come to the cinemas anymore. You know, we've kind of evolved to a point where we have this very segmented market. You've got the occasional four quadrant movie, but then the disappearance of the monoculture where we were in a place where you could just say, Oh, I'm going to go to the movies and I'm going to see whatever, as both of you have, have you know, said, nobody does that anymore. And I think that there's a way maybe to reach more audiences and to engage audiences in a way that suggests like, hey, maybe uh, some of these movies are for you and you think that they're not. And there are a lot of issues with social media, but I think that's part of the program. I think, ironically, uh, comments that AOC made after the round of elections on November 3rd, where she was saying that like, hey, looking at the way some campaigns were run in some of these states, you guys are not very digitally aware. You're not very digitally engaged. And I think actually that there's an adaptation of the comments that she made about politics and about reaching and engaging a voting audience in politics that could be very easily applied to cinema and to, you know, getting theaters and distributors working together to reach audiences uh, in a way that they're not doing right now. And I think that maybe that working together is actually the key segment of the point here. I feel like we're seeing this unusual collaboration between Universal and Cinemark and AMC, and they're all saying, okay, we're going to do business together. But one thing that 2020 has highlighted is that when it comes down to it, any of these companies is really kind of out for themselves before anybody else. And I get it. That's the way the system works. But I think we need a different sort of collaboration between studios and exhibitors going forward to say like, hey, let's not just get you back to the movies after COVID is over, whenever that is. It's like, let's get you back to the movies overall. Let's kind of reassess and maybe fundamentally redefine what the cinema experience is now. And not just what it is, but why it offers something to you that nobody else offers. And I think that that can be done regardless of whether you're talking about an Avengers title or a more, you know, or, or maybe Michael Haneke directs an Avengers title and that does the trick. Thanks for putting that one out into the universe. That would never work. Anyway, I hope some of that makes a sort of sense to any of you. It kind of makes sense to me. No, it, it totally does for us. It's a a point that also Chris in the conversation that we had with him said that the relationship right now between exhibition and distribution is probably at its worst point in decades, if not ever. It, it, it really it's is. It's in tatters. Tatters. Yeah. Yeah. It's everyone is trying to cut a deal that works for them without really thinking of the ripple effect across the industry on a global level. Looking back at something like Cine Asia, there were pre-recorded segments with some uh, local exhibitors in, in the APAC market just basically pleading distribution, please send us movies. We can't keep on going in these half measures moving forward. So yeah, the, the relationship does have to evolve. And on the other side, you have Chris Aronson saying like, 
look, studios are the ones that are spending millions upon millions of dollars to get people to spend money Mm -hmm. at your cinemas. Yeah. Ultimately, Rebecca, I think that's something that all of us here on the podcast have been very patiently waiting for. When is that national messaging going to start with a return to the cinemas? Of course, we have to wait until this pandemic subsides enough where we can actually go out to the public and say, this is something that we're all doing together. We want you guys to come back in and it's safe to do so. Right now, it's difficult to track priorities. I know there's been a lot of uh, impatience in making sure that, that the industry starts recovering. This is a developing situation. I think listeners to this podcast that, that might listen to us in non-sequentially in different weeks might be confused and saying, hey, these guys seem really be concerned about the pandemic in episode seven, but by episode 30, things things aren't a problem anymore. The pandemic magically disappeared. That's not the case. It's It's a moving target. It's an evolving situation. And once we get to that point where we can come in and and tell everyone, hey, we're ready to have you come back. I think that would be ideal. Right now, most of that messaging has been on the safety measures that cinemas are doing to operate at 25 to 50% capacity. Well, thank you for making it this far with us as we look at what is going to maybe happen in 2021 and the shifts that are occurring. Uh, We will certainly have more to talk about on that front over the next couple of weeks. We're all kind of waiting to see what happens with Warner Brothers and Wonder Woman because that is uh, really the last big movie. There's certainly other movies, a couple of universal titles uh, like The Crudes coming, but clearly Wonder Woman from Warner Brothers is the last big one that a lot of exhibitors were pinning hopes on for the year way back in January and February. So let's see where that goes. Now, if you can, please take our survey. It's on our website. The survey will help us get a sense of what you want from the podcast and what you don't as we're designing uh, what we're going to do in 2021. We're already trying to think about that, just as you probably are. This episode is produced, as always, by recordeditpodcast.com. And it was put together by Rebecca Polly and Daniel Luria and me, Russ Fisher. Thank you so much for listening. Take care.